Good evening, everyone. Thanks for coming. Sorry, Saturday night get together. We're discussing Srila Jiva Goswami's Bhagavat Sandarbhas. We're in Anacheta 63. We began in the last discussion with the introduction uh, by reading some of Jiva Goswami's Sandarbha itself and specifically reading the evidences from the Srimad Bhagavatam that he utilizes to substantiate his point. And one of the main points coming out from this Sandarbha is Tatoskalanam. No one falls down from that abode. Tatoskalanam. And as an evidence to this, uh, he quotes from the Bhagavatam, Srila uh, Kapila Dev, speaking to his mother, 3rd Canto, 25th chapter. The first evidence he uses is text 37. <clears throat> and he goes through an elaborate word-by-word explanation uh, of the uh, text. I'll read the English. Thereafter, they do not hanker after any opulence stored for them by my Maya, nor for the eight ensuing yogic paranormal powers, nor even for the transcendental glory of God. And yet these benign gifts become effortlessly available to them in my supreme abode. Athovibutim mamamaya vinastam, Aishvaryam astangam anu pravritam, Shriyam bhagavatim vaspri hayanti badram, Parashyameti snu vete tuloke. As brought out in Jiva Goswami's commentary he goes through all the different words of the verses and brings out the meaning and we went through those definitions so he continues so his the basic point of the sloka is somebody that attains me has everything material normally normally accepted as material opulence, everything you want as far as sensual satisfaction in the material world, my devotee has all that. Everything you'd want as far as worldly power, which is encapsulated in attaining yogic siddhas, my devotee gets that also. And everything that he could want in Vaikuntha he also gets that, even up to the point of all of my opulences. But he doesn't want any of that. But it's his. It's a natural consequence of becoming my pure unalloyed devota, devotee. Uh, then Jiva Goswami goes on to give another praman, another evidence, uh, from the 10th canto in relationship to Saddam. And the fact that he not only attained the Lord, 
but he also attained worldly pleasures uh, beyond imagination for him. Uh, he attained strength, longevity, fame, and beauty for both he and his family. One would say, well, what's any of this have to do with falling from Baikuntha? Why would you, if you had all that, why would you want to come? Well, that will come out. <laughs> um, so we left off at the end of the last class with a doubt. Well, if someone's attaining the Vaikuntha atmosphere and getting all this, what's the distinction? What's different about that in any other loka? So Jiva asked the question. Here a doubt is raised. Jiva himself is raising the doubt in his Anucheda. If Vaikuntha is just another planet, like we say Vaikuntha Loka, so Loka, if it's just another Loka, undistinguished from other planets, like Siddha Loka and so on, then sooner or later the experiencer is He's got to become bored. It's basically what he's saying here. Sooner or later, the experiencer's enjoyment of this realm will come to an end also. He'll come to the end of that. So then, in response to the doubt that Jiva's raised himself, he goes to a verse... The next verse, Praman verse, evidential verse, again coming from Kapila Dave, following the first verse that he used as an evidence. The English of that verse is, In that abode, the unadulterable peace, in that abode of unadulterable peace, are found only those who know themselves and feel themselves to belong to me entirely. They will never meet with destruction. My unblinking wheel never devours those for whom I am the total beloved. Their very self, son, friend, preceptor, relative, benefactor, and worshipable Lord. In this verse, Kapila Dave is touching upon as brought out by Jiva Goswami, in his commentary on this Bhagavatam verse, various loving relationships that the devotee has with the Lord. Did I say Vishwanath? Did I say Jiva? No, Vishwanath. Vishwanath's commentary. So that will come out here in a minute. But anyway, then he goes on, Jiva, to quote Krishna himself. O Arjuna, all planets up to the highest planet, Brahmaloka, are places of return, but one who attains to my abode never takes birth again. Hmm? Yeah. I'm going to read a little bit more from the Anucheda itself. Freedom from the fear of fall or destruction is not the full extent of the devotee's glories. Sri Kapiladev elucidates further in the second half of the verse, those for whom I am the total beloved, their very self, son, friend, preceptor, relative, benefactor, and worshipable Lord. This means that for such devotees, 
There is no entity other than me, the Lord, for whom their love exists. Alternatively, the statement can be taken as a reference to Goloka instead of Vaikuntha, because only there do the Gopas, endowed with the full range of such attitudes, eternally reside. Suhrida is one of the words in that bosom friend, so that's how Jiva is coming to this, to this conclusion. And there's a little explanation here of the verse, but we're going to go on uh, to Vishwanath's explanation where he brings out various rasas so we can see again what we come to in Jiva's Sandarbhas is the richness of the verses from the Bhagavatam, how deep and rich they are when commented upon some, by somebody like Gopal Bhatta Goswami. So again, Jiva, he takes the secondary position. I'm simply compiling the notes of Gopal Bhatta. I haven't done anything here but compiled those notes in an orderly fashion so that you could digest them. So special considerations. Let's first go to Madhurya Kadambani and and look to a little bit of an explanation of the coming to the stage of praying. Uh, so we know that the whole presentation of Madhuri Kadamadi, Nadao Shradatata Sadhu, Sangotha Bhajana Kriya is simply uh, an expansion and an, uh, basically a, a commentary on two verses from Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, the whole thing. So in explaining Prem and how that's how that kind of comes upon the devotee, uh, then Prem, this is from Vishwanath Madhurya Kadamani, assuming the form of a magnet, attracts black Krishna and makes him appear to the devotee for a moment. At that time, all the senses of the devotee, eyes, nose, ears, tongue, sense of touch, become the receptacles of, of all the auspicious qualities of Krishna. His supreme beauty, fragrance, melody, youthfulness, tastiness, adarya, and karunya. Now, he's explaining it here in Madhurya Kadambani in this way. He explains it elsewhere, and I can't remember where. where. It might be in a, in a Bhagavatam purport, is it? Saartha Darsani, commentary on the Srimad Bhagavatam. After every one of these tastings of Krishna, the devotee faints. So first he, he sees Krishna and he faints. Then he, he smells Krishna and he faints again. And then he, you know, he tastes, tastes Krishna because his senses are overwhelmed and he faints. So uh, it gives us some indication of the, of the depth of, of the beginning of that verse, you quote, said Krishna becomes like a magnet. What does he become? Assuming the form of a magnet, okay. Krishna attracts the devotee and fills his senses. Like John Denver sings, he fills up my senses. 
from tasting the extreme sweetness and ever-freshness of these qualities of the Lord, a great longing, which is at every moment in, which at every moment increases, is born in the devotee because of his praying. Poetic words are not adequate to describe the ocean of transcendental bliss which appears at this time. So after bhava, and remember that bhava and prem, bhava is the is the beginning, the the, the first rays of that uh, attainment of, of prem bhakti. There's more from the, the Madhurya Kadamadi, but uh, I want to go on to a verse from the fourth canto by Narda that's in a similar vein um, as the verse from Kapiladev, uh, spoken to Devahuti. Um, again, speaking of the, of the extreme peacefulness, the, the attainment of the of the bhakta, those established in unadulterated peace who are equanimous, pure, and who please all other living beings, effortlessly go to to that abode from which no one falls down, achuta padam, for they keep friendship with the dear devotees of the infallible Lord. Achuta Padam. Padam, Padam. I'm sure that's not from which most don't fall down. <laughs> that we're going to get to. The falling down part. Or they can fall down once, but not twice. That's also fully covered. Just let me get there if we can. That's what they think. That's what some say. Some say. Now we'll come to the commentary of uh, Sachin Narayan Das. Um, as I said, this is one of his longest commentaries up to this point uh, in the uh, Bhagavat Sandarbha. Uh, there's some history to his taking this particular uh, part of Jiva's presentation uh, and presenting it so thoroughly since uh, he was basically ousted from uh, our spiritual master's movement because he uh, presented what was the proper siddhanta of our sampradaya. And by the way, this has not been corrected in Prabhupada's formal institution to date. I heard recently of a a devotee who was put on permanent, what do you call that? Retirement. <laughs> permanent retirement from the Vyasa side of Ishkan. Let's move on. Time, however, does not exist in Vaikuntha, not as a material influence of mutation and destruction, but as a transcendental potency fully under the Lord's control, providing unique moments for the unfolding of his pastimes. Supposition. Let us suppose, if a jiva could fall 
then Vaikuntha must be concluded to be like any other material place. So to refute the, that supposition that that could happen, we have actually this whole Anucheda, Tatoskalam, Tatoskaladam, I'm sorry. There is no fall from Vaikuntha. Nakapilas in his verse has mentioned Santa Rupam. It is natural, its nature is that of unadulterated peace without trace of any influence that could disrupt the continued continuity of such peace. Therefore, Jiva's writing that Vaikuntha, there's no question of destruction. No residents of Vaikuntha fall from the to the material world. And Kapila submits two reasons that, in, if we look at the verses, the Praman, the evidence he gives, there's two, two reasons in these verses. First, there's no influence of time as there is the influence of time within the material realm. In the material realm, what does time represent? Destruction death. and death. Destruction, death. Uh, and the second, more important reason is that all residents of Vaikuntha have an eternal loving relationship with Bhagavan, a stai bhava. They have a relationship with the Lord. Now let's look at what does that mean to have a relationship with the Lord that more or less, not more or less, only more, and more, and more, <laughs> uh, having a relationship with the Lord that makes it impossible for one to fall from Vaikuntha. What are some of the factors? I mean, we couldn't, we could be here discussing for, for eons of time, but a few of them we can go on. So the opulences that one, that Kapil has mentioned, those opulences, and they're, they're truly a manifestation of Bhagavan's mercy, of Krishna's mercy. And being a manifestation of his mercy, uh, they are of his very nature. So they themselves are eternal. So there's not a dwindling of them. There's not any... There's not a time that those opulences are not fully available to the devotee. So, why would you go to the material world? In other words, if you already have in your hand the availability of everything that's in the material world, all the powers that could be had within the material world, referring to the yoga cities, and all the opulences of Vaikuntha itself up to all the opulences that the Supreme Lord has himself. So you could have a body like God. You could have 
You could have his personal association. You could have all of his powers. Well, there's four powers you could. There was maybe another five, but I mean, it's, those are just details. I mean, you wouldn't. But you would have so many, except for a you know, a gem and a tuft of hair. No one would know that you weren't Vishnu. I want one of those. <laughs> What? I can think of a reason why they played when it comes into your world. So it can be the center. Yeah. So, because then you're. Okay, but what else. what gives you materialistic ego? And this comes out a little bit here, but we can discuss it now. What's the source of material ego? Uh, the the self centeredness. What does that come from? And misidentification is coming from impressions. Now, once the verse from Kapila Dave begins with, what is that, a toe? Uh, uh, all those things are taken away. So once you're beyond material consciousness, what impressions are there to again foster such a desire. There's no material impressions. You have no material mind. You do not have a material subtle body. You already own everything materially as far as opulences and powers. So what, what would be there to draw you to the material realm since you already have everything that's to be experienced there and there's no impressions to pull you back into sinful life, into passion and ignorance. The material, those material oppressions left when the subtle body was dissolved and you attain a relationship with the Supreme. Well, let's make another, let's look at another assumption. Although a material act could not take place in Vaikuntha, let us assume for the sake of argument that it could. Below are six conditions often thought to proceed to fall down. We've heard these arguments before. We're going to walk through them again because the commentator wants to make sure that we understand what the appropriate response is. And he's just beginning. This is just the beginning of, as I said, a very long commentary on his part. So the points being made, okay, we accept Vaikuntha's transcendental. But let's assume that you could fall down because somebody may say you could fall down. And there would have to be a reason for that fall down. So let's look at the reasoning for that fall down. What could cause it? Well, let's, let's conjecture what could be possible reasons. One, we have free will. We want to come here. <laughs> oh. <laughs> okay. 
But if we have no impressions of it, how do we even know it exists? That's the response. As I said, we jumped ahead a little bit in her in re- answering her question. You heard it from someone else. Ooh, it's so nice. Why would one yearn? Basically, he goes through some things, but he's, he ends up like this. So why yearn for that which eternally sits in the palm of your own hand? You're inspired. You have free will. You want to enjoy. But you already have everything the material world has to offer at your immediate disposal. So there's no better place to live. There's no better... It's got good weather. (laughs) Basically, you could use your free will, but you already have everything. Parikshit confirms from the second canto, a person who heart, whose heart has been washed clean never abandons the Lord's lotus feet. Like a traveler who has arrived home, he is relieved of all distress. Well, you could commit a sin. There's no possibility of committing a sin In the spiritual world, sin and piety only exist in the material realm. So if someone wants to use that argument, then, well, that may mean the modes of material nature are in the material, or in the spiritual Vaikuntha realm, and then it's no longer Vaikuntha, it's the material realm, so end of argument. In the Bhagavad Gita, Krishna explains that all sins are burned in the fire of transcendental knowledge. Even if you are the most sinful of all sinners, you will be able to cross over the ocean of miseries in the boat of knowledge, as a flaming fire reduces fire to ashes. O Arjuna, so does the fire of knowledge reduce all karma to ashes. And from the Bhagavatam, Some rare souls who are completely devoted to Lord Vasudeva totally destroy all their sins by their exclusive devotion, just as the sun immediately dissipates fog with its rays. So you're sinful and you fall to the material world. That's why you came down. But to get to the spiritual world, everything that was sinful about your existence Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, and how many evidences do we have that there's no sins? They're all they're all completely dissipated um, by attainment of the, of the transcendental realm. Again, from the uh, first canto, by hearing this Srimad Bhagavatam, one is blessed with devotion to Krishna, the supreme person. This devotion puts an end to all mourning, bewilderment, and fear. Well, the Vaikuntha realm is full of devotees. Maybe one would curse you. Again, evidence that that just doesn't happen. Devotees do not curse anybody. What to speak of cursing another devotee? And here again, 
it's important to remember that we may hear of such cursing, but we have to see it in the proper perspective. And yes, it's a fact there may be some cursing by devotees who are still within the material realm, but they don't carry that with them into the spiritual realm. So in those places in the Bhagavatam where it's mentioned, we should look carefully at the context. From the fifth canto, and again using evidences from the Bhagavat Purana, all the gods come and invest their qualities in one who is devoted to the Supreme Lord without independent interest or desire. On the other hand, where are the great virtues of a person not devoted to Sri Hari, whose desires lead him to wander about in the superficial and impermanent realm? Some discussion of Prahlad Maharaj and, and his nature. And his nature, I mean, his father was... Did he curse back? Did he even... He was, he was completely protected by Krishna in every instance. He mentions that there are stories in the Puranas wherein devotees curse each other, but this is just to set the scene for the unfolding of the Leela and not truly inimical feelings are present. No truly inimical feelings are present. Just as those who visit a prison do not become prisoners, so those devotees who are so-called cursed to come to this material world to assist the Lord in his leela are not bound by the gunas of nature. More evidence to that effect. Again, we make these statements, but well, where we need to be able to back up such statements. From the sixth canto. They saw him with eyes resembling a pair of full-blown autumn lotuses and surrounded by his 16 associates who appeared exactly like him. Talking about the associates. Only without the mark of Srivatsd and the Kastuba jewel. You could not tell the difference between Vishnu and his associates. Well, when you're in Vaikuntha, these are four and five, you could offend a devotee or you may offend the Lord directly. Again, let's go back to the basics of the verse and Vishwanath Chakravarti's explanation of the verse from Rupa Goswami's Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu. In this Madhurya Kadambani, the falling away of offenses is specifically and dealt with as far as, first of all, the kind of offenses and the stages of advancement wherein those offenses, one is relieved of those offenses. So, in devotional practice, there are Narthas. I mean, we do have to clean ourselves up to enter Vaikuntha. No one can deny that. Vishwanath is so kind to us that he says, this is how it works. 
And he breaks down those anarthas without going into Madhurya Kadambani in detail. I just wanted to remind, because we had classes uh, some years ago um, in another realm, <laughs> Madhurya Kadambani. So let's look quickly at those just as a reminder. So Vishwanath breaks down Anarthas into four types. Discritotha, Discritotha, Sukritotha, Aparadotha, Aparads, and Bhaktjutha. So, anything from the five kleshas, Discritotha, Sukritotha is, we still have an intense attachment to material enjoyment. Aparadotha, we commit nama aparads during the practice. If we didn't, well, we would have already attained uh, the results. So there's some aparad. And bhaktjutha. And there are Certain bhaktjutha. No. Basically, they are the perks of bhakti and are are enjoying, you know, uh, wealth, fame, uh, followers. So, the argument was well, you could offend the Lord or offend the devotees. So the in answer to that, let's look at, well, you'd have to have these offenses. You'd still have to have these aparads in your heart. When do they leave? And this is, this is the interesting thing about Vishwanath's presentation in Madhurya Kadamani. These aparads disappear in... What does he use? Five? Five for Aparadotha. Duskritotha and Sukritotha. So let's talk about those. Those are simple. From the kleshas, from the material, material, uh, just be, having a material body. And also uh, from having, from wanting to enjoy your material body. So those, if we look at the stage of, of advancement in devotion, adashrada, tata, sadhu, sangotha, bhajana, kriya. So those offenses are almost completely eliminated at bhajana, kriya. Almost completely eliminated. They're completely eliminated at Nista and they're absolutely gone at the stage of Asakti. Can you say what Bajana Kriya you understand Asakti? Sure. Bajana Kriya is when you have, when you, well, let's look at the stages in general. Atal Shraddha, Tata Sadhu, Sangotha, Bajana Kriya. So first, there's a little faith. Now there's what is, what is there seven 
these seven stages of advancement. Vishwanath also in his Bhagavatam commentary adds two at the beginning and two at the end, but let's just start with these. And the first thing is there has to be a little faith. And then a little faith will will get you a long way. A little faith will, by Krishna's arrangement, give you some association with his devotees, sadhu sangha. Adal shraddha, shraddha, faith, sadhu sangha, you associate with a devotee. Um, and just associating with his sadhu, you take up some of his practices. Bhajana kriya. So bhajana kriya is a simple practice. It's a devotional life. Hearing, chanting, and on. Now, these things stay with you. Just All these things are consecutively adding to your the enrichment of your devotional life. So you start with a little faith. Then you get to associate with devotees. Then from the devotee association, you engage in their types of activities. Hearing, chanting, remembering, offering respects, like that. Um, so, bhajana kriya. Um, from Bhajanakriya, we come to Anartha Navriti, means when, while we're engaging in these practices, the heart begins to clean. So, gradually there's a cleansing of all these Anarthas. So that that's naturally there through this, all these, as I said, are they're all present, always present with us, all the practices, as we advance one to the next. Um, and as anarthas begin to clear, we become fixed in our devotion. That's called nista, the stage of nista. And from the stage of nista, um, we begin to enjoy devotional practice, ruchi. And from that enjoyment, it, it further solidifies. And uh, asakti is there. We really, we start to more than just taste the pleasure of devotional life in general. We start to become a little bit fixed on the on the goal of that devotional practice. Asakti, we start to develop a, a relationship of love with Krishna. We start to develop a little bit of a spiritual personality. And that carries us on into bhava. Uh, and we get a, a glimmer of spiritual life and there, from their praying, which is pure love of God. So, back to our discussion here. Duskritotha and Sukritotha, those particular... At the stage of a of a sakti, they're absolutely removed. You haven't even reached bhava yet, and all material. There's no karma left for you at that stage. No karma on the material platform. None of the things from the material platform. Absolute means finished. Now the aparadotha. Well, let's go to the bhaktyatotha. Because this is also interesting. There are certain perks that come with bhakti. And 
you may be distracted a little bit by those by those perks. You may want to visit the heavenly planets when you find out, oh, Krishna, take me there. Or you read about Gopakumara and his journey and you say, wow, I'd like to take that journey. That was, you know, I'd like to, well, he was a Brahma, he was an Indra, he was, you know, he got to see all these things. That would be fun, maybe. Uh, you know, didn't do any harm to him. You know, maybe it wouldn't do any harm to me. Or I like, I like, I like being at the head of the class and giving the class. I like getting the garlands and I want to have disciples and I like the money and uh, all the fame, the pratista. Yeah, so, yeah, that's there, but it's got to fall away, those kind of things. So that falling away of those natural benefits of ending material life and beginning spiritual life and becoming a sadhu, because you do become a sadhu, and a sadhu's do at least a modicum of respect within the material world, although he should get all the respect that's in the material world. Um, but he does, and, and he has to take care. So how does that fall away? Let's talk about that falling away. And Vishwanath gives the following in relationship. And Bhajana Kriya, that's partially resolved. At the stage of Bhajana Kriya, it's already falling away. It's completely resolved at Nista. And it's absolutely gone at Ruchi. So even those benefits that one may get some little hankering for, if they simply continue in good Sangha, which means we associate with the devotee who's more advanced than we are and we hear from them. Vishwanath explains that in, uh, in his commentary in the Bhagavatam, that such a devotee who has bhava, has prem, is able to pull one through the stages. A devotee that's not there yet, the most he can give you is bhajana kriya. And that's okay. But it's it doesn't make for a nourishing spiritual life that pulls you stage by stage through bhajana kriya and artha nivriti, nista, ruchi, asakti, bhava, prem. We need good association if we want to be pulled through these different stages. We have to seek out that association. If it doesn't come from... Uh, From Diksha, then we need to take Siksha somewhere. We need to find it. We need to find that association that pulls us deeper and deeper into spiritual life. And let's talk about Aparads, the natural Aparads. When do these go away? So they partially begin to retire at Bhajana Kriya. They're already beginning to retire at Bhajana Kriya. At Nista, there's a pervasive the operates at, at Nista are starting to be pervasively dismissed in our spiritual life. At, at Bhava, they're almost completely gone. It doesn't mean you can't get sidetracked. 
by a deer. But we have these lessons, and if we stay in good association, hopefully we won't. Remember, association, association, association. That's the key to, to, to progressing quickly. Um, Aparadotha, completely eliminated at Prem. And Vishwanath says, and when you see Krishna, it's over. <laughs> There's no offense. None of these five category, four categories are there for his devotee. So if they're not there, once, people, once one comes into the presence of the Lord personally, then what's the question? What is the question of offending a devotee? Because no, there's no offense. You've already gone through the offensive stage of Aparad. You've already offended devotees. You've already let that offense put you on hold for how many months, years, hopefully not lifetimes, but you got to keep chanting and work through it if you offend a devotee, especially if you haven't got the, the guts to go up and admit it to him and, and beg for forgiveness, which is difficult for us sometimes. Um, and so then what's the question? What really, what's the question? Is what the commentator's saying here. There's a sixth one here. In the commentary, there's a couple things brought up which we'll just quickly go over just because they may come to your mind. What about Maharaj Chitraketu? So Maharaj Chitraketu offended Lord Shiva. And he was cursed. But actually, what comes out is, no, he didn't offend Lord Shiva. Um, according to Vishwanath, he did not offend Lord Shiva. Because the effect of an offense, if we actually commit an offense, is our appreciation of Krishna, our love for Krishna, will diminish. We do not see that in Chitraketu's life. It actually increased. He changed bodies and took on the body of a demon, but his affection for Krishna simply increased more. So his offense to Shiva cannot be seen as an aparad, a Vaishnava aparad. There is one thing out of duty I have to mention here. And uh, this is a comment by Srila Rupa Goswami in regards to offenses. Uh, Rupa Goswami explains in his Bhakti Rasam Rita Sindhu uh, that one's bhava or his permanent devotional disposition of being can be lost altogether. Very serious offense can you can actually lose, um, lose your bhava. It can become simply a semblance of bhava, a bhava boss, 
or the least kind of offense, means of Vaishnava Aparads, can be downgraded to a lower bhava. Actually, not Vaishnava, any Aparad, right? I think is what... So... Um, We've discussed it many times, this point. There's still some. Guru Maharaj has a little bit of, of a... Uh, changing one sty bhava seems a little difficult to comprehend. Uh, so anyway, there's... We're going to go over as we as we progress through this commentary. I'll try to finish it one more class. Uh, we have to see all these statements by the Acharyas and how they they all fit together. So there are sometimes stern warnings there that may be overly stern in certain circumstances just to to make us try, take great care. Yes, Guru? Well... We, we don't, even though he mentions that, perhaps as you did, out of duty, as, as a stern warning, he, although when he makes a point, he usually gives evidence of when it's happened in some Purana. Uh-huh. We don't see that there. In he the Bhakti Rasamrita Siddhi. Yeah, he just says it's a possibility. Right. That's an interesting point. Thank you. That's great. Yeah. Okay, so one, none of these things, none of these items that have been discussed, these five items, have been seen in any devotee once he's attained the platform of praying. So then the, then the commentator brings up one more item, and we'll close with this this evening. The Lord has free will... Kick you out. <laughs> You're out of here. It's my place. But as an evidence in regards to this, we need to look to Krishna's character a little bit. <laughs> and what we have here is let's look at what the Lord told Durvas Muni. O Brahmana, I am completely under the control of my devotees as if I have no impendence at all. My heart has been fully captivated by my virtuous devotees, for I am their only beloved. O Brahman, I have no desire to delight in my own being, nor to enjoy my eternal opulences, separate from my virtuous devotees, to whom I am the supreme goal of life. I have no desire to be... He doesn't... In, desire to enjoy his own opulences. Nadanam Najanamnas. <laughs> How could I possibly abandon those sadhus who, for my sake, have given up home, wife, children, family members, wealth, life, and all hopes for happiness in this world and the next? I am conquered by the virtuous whose hearts are tied to me while showing equanimity to all beings, just as a virtuous wife wins over her pious husband. My devotees are completely satisfied by their service to me. They have not even the slightest interest 
in the four kinds of liberation, automatically available to them as a mere side effect of their service. How could they yearn for anything that is destroyed by time? I am the heart of my devotees and they are mine. They know nothing other than me and I know nothing other than them. Other than them. Now this is Krishna talking to Devas in the material realm. So he's speaking about the heart of his devotees. What about the devotees that are in Vaikuntha? Can he have any feelings other than these for those devotees that are he's already granted his association to? We think not. So these were spoken in relationship with Ambarish Maharaj to Durvas Muni. It's from the ninth canto. And Arjuna was also given such assurance in the Gita, son of Kunti. Such a devotee very quickly becomes righteous and attains eternal peace. Therefore declare it loudly, my devotee will never perish. In relationship to what was this verse spoken? A devotee that does something bad on the material realm. This is his response to somebody that well, doesn't do something bad, does everything that's bad, basically. Sudarachara, even if they fall into the material conception of life, which is everything that's bad. So I'll stop there. Thank you so much for your association.